Good morning, church. If you can hear my voice, you're a church. Welcome. My name is Jamie, and let's pray. Holy, almighty, unshakable one. Lord, we confess that we are shakable. And please forgive us for war. Uh, you created all things, including us. And you said that your creation is good. And we have walked in our ways instead of yours. And now we have war. So please forgive us and please show us your mercy and plant your peace in the hearts of your created. We trust you and we love you, Jesus. And will you help us to hear your truth today? In your holy name, amen. Amen. So today is the first Sunday in Lent, and uh, we started Lent last week on Ash Wednesday. And it's the 40 days before Easter, right? It's a 40-day season when uh, Christians, followers of Christ, uh, prepare themselves for the celebration of Easter, right? We prepare ourselves with prayer and study and reflection and worship and often with fasting and, um, you know, I encourage you to try some of this. Uh, prayer and reflection or meditation on the word, um, these are all examples of spiritual disciplines, okay? And um, spiritual disciplines, they're just practical ways or habits that we can take on that help us move deeper in our relationship with God. Now, do spiritual disciplines earn us grace and salvation? No. No. Salvation comes from the Lord, right? We can't earn grace. So, like I said, these are just habits that we take on in order, order to deepen our relationship with God. And guess what? You don't have to just do these things during Lent, right? You can do this anytime. You don't need a holiday uh, to deepen your love and trust in God. But... Um, you do need to want a deeper relationship with God. Because if you start a discipline out of a sense of duty, there's like a really good chance that there won't be much life in it. And um, you'll just turn that discipline into a religious rule. And uh, just another thing to consider is when we, we do participate in these, um, like prayer and worship or fasting, we need to keep a check on ourselves. Right, and make sure that we aren't making the discipline all about us. Okay, these things, they should be about God. He should be at the center, not us and not the discipline. Right, and this is what Jesus preaches about in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, 16, he says, that When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So if we make the spiritual discipline all about us, then we receive a shallow reward. But if we practice the discipline with our hearts toward God, 
keeping him in the center, then um, we will receive a deep and meaningful reward from God. And these disciplines, they're not things we use to get God's attention, okay? They're not used to manipulate God. Okay, don't do that, right? Like, don't be like, well, if I fast real good, God's got to answer my prayer. Like, don't. Because that's either, like, immature thinking or witchcraft. I don't recommend it. These things are not ways that we prove ourselves to God. They are ways that we prepare ourselves for God. It's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I'm pretty sure I stole that from someone smarter than me. Probably Richard Foster. Probably Celebration of Discipline. Uh, read that book. It's pretty simple to follow. And um, so, yeah, probably stole that from him. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk on spiritual disciplines. Uh, you will probably hear it again next year at Lent. <laughs> okay. So our gospel reading uh, today is from Luke's gospel. And this year we've been looking at uh, how Luke introduced Jesus as the Messiah, the anointed one sent by God to redeem the world. And Luke has told story after story showing us that Jesus is true God and true man. And as Christians, we believe that. Okay, we believe that. Uh, but sometimes we dismiss or discount Jesus' humanity, right? Because I don't know why. Right? Because it's way easier to say, well, Jesus could do all of those amazing things that he did because he's God. You know, it was easy for him. But if we think like that, then we're cheapening everything Jesus did, even his death and resurrection. And I don't think that we do this to minimize Jesus. I think we do it to minimize ourselves and to give us an excuse to not have to try to live like Jesus lived. Jesus shows us how to live as humans. And if we keep minimizing that by writing off the incarnation as, yeah, but he's God, so dot, 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 then we're writing ourselves permission slips to ignore what Jesus tells us to do and how to live. And that's basically us doing the devil's work for him. Okay, so quick review. In chapters 1 and 2, we have Luke telling us the Christmas story, right? Jesus, born of a virgin, son of God, come to die to redeem the world. And in chapter 3, you know, all of a sudden, adult Jesus. We have adult Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit can be seen, right? He comes down and rests on him, and a voice from heaven proclaims, this is my son. And then at the end of chapter 3, question mark, Luke inserts a genealogy, and he traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam. So this is what I mean when I say that Luke keeps giving us these examples of Jesus as true God and true man, right? But isn't it strange that he puts that genealogy at the end of chapter 3, right? After he's already an adult, he's been baptized. Like, instead of saying one or two, we have infant born Jesus. So in chapter 3, 
28 through 38, Luke traces Jesus all the way back to Adam, back to the Garden of Eden. Don't worry, I'm not going to read off all 77 names. <laughs> but Luke gives us this very flesh and blood lineage, and it ends with the Son of God. And if we stopped reading there, we might be like, okay. Okay, weird, okay. But if we continue to the next part, it's really cool, okay? So uh, let's read it. It's Luke 4, starting at the first verse. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So, isn't that kind of cool? Uh, right before Luke tells us the story of Jesus being tested in the wilderness, right, We've just been reminded of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And how did Adam and Eve do with their temptation? Yeah. Not so great. The serpent tempts Eve to eat the one thing that God told Adam not to eat. And why did God tell them not to eat the fruit of that one tree? Is it because he just likes making up arbitrary rules? No. No, it was a special tree. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. And were they ready for that knowledge? No, uh, because God told them not to eat it. They weren't ready. But a tricky serpent talks them into eating it, and now they have knowledge they're not ready for. And everything goes sideways. But now we have Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, in the wilderness. And he's starving. And does anyone want to go camping with no food for 40 days? Not me. I'll pass. But how did Jesus get there? It says the Holy Spirit led him there. The Holy Spirit took him there to endure this. It says he's going to be tested. Why? Why would Jesus need to be tested? I don't know, it's literally none of my business. Maybe it's to show us Jesus' character, right? 
he remains faithful to his heavenly father the whole time. And not just with these three temptations that we're told about, but with 40 days worth of the devil trying his hardest to get Jesus to misuse his power or to trust in himself instead of God the Father. And Jesus reveals his faithful character to us. And the devil tempts him through his hunger, right? If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And notice he's not tempting him with actual bread. Okay, eating bread and having bread is not the problem. But apparently it was not time for Jesus to use his authority to create some bread. Now later on, in his ministry, when he has compassion on the crowd, he miraculously multiplies bread because it was time. But here he's not given the go-ahead from the Father to do it. Jesus remains faithful to the Father. He doesn't argue with the devil about it. Instead, he quotes scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it's part of this really long moment, this really long speech that Moses is giving to the Israelites. He's telling them their history and the laws from God that they are to obey because they've made it. They've made it through their wilderness, right? They're about to cross the Jordan and enter the promised land. So let's look at this part that Jesus quotes from Moses. Moses says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you'd keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So by quoting that tiny part of that scripture, Jesus is letting the devil and us, the ones reading the story, he's letting us know that he knows he's being tested and that he is humbled and hungry. And he knows that he can feast on God's word. So he doesn't fall for the trick of making bread out of a stone when it's not time. In verse 5, the devil takes Jesus up somewhere. It just says up. Maybe it's a mountain. Uh, maybe it's the moon. It doesn't matter. They're up. And they can see all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. That is a whole poem. Luke, you poet. I bet that looks so cool. And then the devil offers Jesus a deal. He'll give him authority and glory over all the earthly kingdoms if Jesus will just bow and worship him. Now, Jesus has come into the world to be king, right? King of kings and Lord of lords. And we read in the Gospels how this gets misunderstood by so many. 
right? They want him to be king of Israel and to free the Jews from their oppressors. They want him to have an earthly kingdom. And that is exactly what the devil is offering him. Like, here, you can go ahead and be king now. That's what you're here for, isn't it? Go ahead and take it so that you can get to ruling now instead of later. He offers him an easy button or like a shortcut. You guys have read the Bible, right? Like, how often does God implement a shortcut? I don't think he's interested in shortcuts. And how does Jesus respond? Deal or no deal, Jesus? He doesn't even argue. He doesn't ask any follow-up questions. And he doesn't question the validity of the devil's authority. Because sometimes we read this and we think, well, the devil was offering Jesus something he didn't really have. And are we sure about that? Because how would that even be tempting? Like, it wouldn't. If there's reason to doubt the validity of the offer, Jesus wouldn't even have to verbally respond. He'd just roll his eyes. It's not a, if it's not a real offer, is there even a temptation? But it's real. He's offering Jesus a shortcut to be the earthly king that his people have been wanting and waiting for for centuries. And Jesus doesn't argue and he doesn't debate. Once again, he quotes Moses from the same speech. This time it's from Deuteronomy 6. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. Jesus chooses to remain faithful to God, the one with supreme authority, rather than worship the devil and whatever authority he has. And then we're told of one more test. In verse 9, the devil takes Jesus to Jerusalem, another field trip. And he puts him on the tip top of the temple. I know it says pinnacle. I always read that as pineapple, and I was so relieved when earlier when I read it, I didn't say pineapple. I was like, yes. <laughs> so he puts him on the top of the temple. And he says, if you're the son of God, jump off this temple. And it's again, he's like, if you are the son of God. Does the devil know that Jesus is the son of God? Yeah. Like later on, we see that even demons know who he is. So I'm assuming the devil knows. So he's not disbelieving Jesus' identity. But maybe he's trying to get Jesus to doubt it. Right? It's been 40 days in the middle of nowhere with no food. Can you imagine the headache? The body aches? Right? Because 40 days, I don't know at which day your organs start quitting. Right? They put in their two-week notice. <laughs> you would die. Right? Your body and your brain start slowing way down. So, um, and then imagine you have this guy in your ear, just all in your ear, just saying all kind of stuff. He won't shut up. Constant harassment, a pounding headache. I would give up in a second. It'd be like, if, if whatever, I will do whatever as long as that means that you go away. My kingdom for a Tylenol. So he's on top of the temple, and the devil says, prove that you're the son of God. And then he quotes 
scripture, right? He sees that Jesus has only responded with scripture. Um, so he might as well use scripture to his advantage. Uh-oh. Sidebar. <laughs> I hope that none of us have ever tried to use scripture to advance our wants and desires over someone, right? I hope that we Christians haven't used scripture to manipulate a situation. Because we are definitely about to see the devil try to do that. And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to do the devil's work for him. So the devil quotes part of Psalm 91 to Jesus, right? Prove you're the son of God and jump off the temple because just like your Bible says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Right? Are you sure you're the Messiah? Because you look like a mess. Prove it. Jump off the temple. Let the angels catch you. They won't let anything bad happen to you. You won't even stub your toe. The Bible said so. Now, the temple is a busy place. In fact, I bet you it's the busiest place in Jerusalem. So if Jesus jumps and the angels save him, it's going to be a whole thing, you guys. It's going to be a whole thing, right? He won't just be proving his divinity to the devil or to himself. Like, all of a sudden, lots of people are going to know that the Messiah is in town. And God the Father has a plan. And it doesn't involve grand entrances, does it? Not this time. Maybe the second time Jesus comes back. There's going to be clouds and trumpet, okay? But this time, he comes as a humble infant. He comes as servant to all. And once again, Jesus chooses to remain faithful to the Father. He doesn't cave in to the temptation to prove anything. And again, he doesn't argue or debate with the devil. He only quotes Moses' speech again. again. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Full stop. And Jesus passes the test. The Holy Spirit led him in the wilderness for 40 days to be tested. Why does God test him and us? Well, Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 8, right, to know what's in your heart and whether you keep his commandments. Jesus is tested and he is found faithful to God the Father. The devil has tempted him to not trust in God's plan. And he tempts him to take control. And he doesn't. He stays faithful to God. And he shows us how to do it too. Right? What did he do each time the devil tried to get him to swerve away from God? He answers with scripture. He doesn't engage in conversation. There's no argue. There's no debate with him. He doesn't even tell the devil no. He simply replies with the scripture. Now do not hear me say this and think that any time that you are tempted to swerve away from God, you can just quote a Bible verse 
and be done. Because that is not what Jesus did. Jesus knew his scriptures. He knew his Bible. And he feasted on his father's word. Okay, he knew the Torah and the writings and the scrolls of the prophets. He knew the Hebrew Bible. And because of that, he was able to choose the father every time. Not because knowing the scripture means you can select the correct answer every time. The test isn't about correct answers. It's about the heart. Moses tells us that you are tested to know what's in your heart. And if you, like Jesus, if you know your Father's word because you feed on it and you study it for your whole life, you don't just read it once and then put it back on the shelf, but if you ingest this over and over, you will learn how much the Father loves his whole creation, all of it, even the parts that we don't. He loves it so much that he is willing to sacrifice his son to save it. And when you keep taking that in over and over, when you are full of God's love for his creation, that you know that you know that you know that you know it, then God's word reveals your heart when you're tested too. Now, am I saying that any of this is easy? No, I never do. Am I saying that it is possible for us to even pass tests? Yeah, I totally am. Because you can read about people being tested in the Bible all of the time. And guess what? Sometimes, sometimes, they choose to be faithful to God. And sometimes they choose the thing that they want to do and things go sideways. And am I saying that if you pass the test, you win and uh, you'll never have to be tested again? No. I wish. No. In fact, the gospel reading tells us that, right? After the devil ended every temptation, he left Jesus until an opportune time. Jesus would be tested again. And the devil is willing to wait. He's willing to wait for another moment when Jesus is physically weak to do it. And even when he's not physically weak, you know, how often is Jesus tested by the Pharisees? Like, a lot. And there's a couple of times where you see it, right, where he passes the test, always choosing to be faithful to God and his plan, like when Peter tempts him to not go to Jerusalem to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because it is tempting to turn around and, like, do something else. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asks God for a way out. You know, is there any other way? But he chooses to remain faithful to God. He obeys. But then finally, there's these moments when he's on the cross Luke tells us about this in chapter 23. There's three times when he is mocked. And the first time he's mocked by a group of rulers. The Jews are mocking him. And the second time, it's a group of Roman soldiers, right? 
And they say, hey, he saved others, you know. Why don't you come save yourself? If you're the chosen one, save yourself. And then even one of the criminals who was crucified right next to him imagine can you imagine being tortured for hours and the guy being tortured next to you makes fun of you I thought you were the Christ why don't you save yourself why don't you do something I'm so thankful that Jesus remained faithful to the Father, even through that. He's so humble. The king of kings suffers a criminal torture and death. And instead of answering the haters and the oppressors, he uses his voice to ask God the Father to forgive them. Jesus was tested right up to his death. And his heart was revealed, faithful, every time. So if we look at all Jesus did and all he suffered and endured and say, well, yeah, sure, he's Jesus. It was easy for him. Then all we've done is give ourselves permission to live our lives the way we want to live and not the humble and hungry and faithful way that Jesus showed us how to live. And we do the devil's work for him. Don't. Isn't it helpful when someone says don't? If you catch yourself doing this, ask for help. Amen.